Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. It's amazing how heavy the weight of emptiness can feel, how much room it can take up in our souls, how much pain can be caused by something that isn't even there. But while we may see the emptiness of our lives as our greatest problem, that's not how God sees it. When God looks into the empty places of our lives, he sees his greatest opportunity. God does his best work in the emptiness of our insatiable craving for things that don't satisfy, our relational disappointments and loneliness, our frustrated search for purpose and for meaning, our relentless desire for comfort and security, and our ongoing struggle to live with loss and unfulfilled dreams. Nancy Guthrie has written the new book, God Does His Best Work with Empty, to help in discovering why emptiness has never been and never will be a problem to God. As Nancy pulls back the curtain on God's work to fill up emptiness as revealed throughout the Bible, you'll experience page after page of grace and hope that your emptiness can and will be filled. You'll begin to see that God really does do His best work with empty as He fills it with himself. Nancy Guthrie is a Bible teacher, the author of numerous books, a podcaster, a wife and mother, and I'm grateful to have her with us on the podcast today. Nancy, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, Jared. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, we're recording this. This will come out later. We're recording this before Christmas. Are are you anticipating? This will be a nice little Christmas uh, reflection for people in February. (laughs) Are you anticipating Christmas? Christmas? Yeah, yeah. How's Advent going for you? (laughs) Oh, listen, I'm the worst person to ask. Like as oh. we're talking, I yeah, I, I I'm not a big decorator, Jared. Oh, well I I can okay, see. Okay, so I like I look at the I look at the Christmas decorations in the attic and I just go like if I put those up, yeah. I'm just going to have to take them down again and, and put them <laughs> away. So <laughs> So my 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 wife has like come up with a genius idea and I say it's genius because it because it gets me off the hook. She makes it this party and people these these oh. ladies from our church like the, it's almost like Tom Sawyer. Do you remember convincing yeah. people to whitewash the fence? Exactly. She's like, I'm gonna bake and cook, and we'll spend all day listening to Christmas music. Y'all help me come decorate, and like five, six ladies from our church show up and spend a whole day with her. And I don't, I don't have to get the tree out. I, like I love it. I don't have to do anything. But do you have to put it away? Yeah, I do have to put it away. Yeah, yeah. See, that's my least favorite part. You know, it, it, that's the end right. Of December, January, like oh, putting all the stuff away. So. It's like packing for a trip. My wife hates to pack. I, I, I don't mind packing at all because there's anticipation and preparation. It's the unpacking when you get home that, I, that I hate. hate that? Yeah, I hate Yeah, I hate putting I things do. away. I do too. <laughs> Same with the dish. Okay, we're on a little roll here. I don't know how you feel about Because I, like the one chore, I, I don't do it all the time, but the one that I do the most around the house um, besides the trash is, is uh, washing dishes. And I like loading the dishwasher, but I hate unloading it. I hate putting things away. This gives me the opportunity to uh, affirm my husband. Uh, My husband, one of the ways he says, I love you, is emptying the dishwasher. Wow. Okay. So, So, And the thing is, I hear it that way. Okay. I hear it that way. Because I know he doesn't enjoy emptying the dishwasher. Yeah. But he does it because he knows it's just a way to say, I love you. And let me tell you, the most recent thing he started doing, really just since the pandemic, he makes our bed every day. Oh, my word. And when I go that's into a, that's our That's a little extreme. <laughs> okay, you want me to shut up now, No, 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 you? keep going. I'm feeling <laughs> chastened. Okay. Keep going. No, I walk into our bedroom in the evening 
and the bed is beautifully made. Mm. And I hear, I love you. Wow. Uh, men, are you, are you paying attention? This yeah. is good. This is good stuff. Huh. This, this wasn't the subject of the, uh, of the podcast today, <laughs> but it's good. We got a good little lesson here. Um, I'm going to take that to heart because I, I hate, okay. I mean, I do it. I just, I, I'm not thinking I love you when I unload the dishwasher. <laughs> well, the big question though is, does she hear mm. that? I'll have to ask her. Dishwasher. I'll have to ask her. Okay. Hey, why? So why emptiness? Why? Yeah. W- why tackle that subject? Well, it's it's interesting. Once again, the timing of it, isn't it? Because I wrote this before the pandemic. But mm. is there anybody here in the midst of the pandemic who cannot relate? to this idea of emptiness. I mean, so much, we've had to let go of so much. And we've experienced emptiness in the form of letting go of plans, uh, loneliness, boredom, disappointment, loss. I mean, you know, when I think about how many people have lost their jobs and are really wondering if those jobs are ever going to come back. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is emptiness. You know, for, for, for me, the way this initially came about is that David and I have a ministry to uh, grieving parents, to parents who have lost a child. And the first time I uttered the words that have become the title of this book, God Does His Best Work with Empty, was maybe at one of our very first retreats that we hold, respite retreats we hold for for couples who have lost children. And, you know, I'm sitting in this room and I'm looking around at 22 faces of people. And I, and my statement to, to them was, you know, I know you have a deep and profound emptiness. There is an emptiness. There's an empty bedroom at your house. There's an empty place at the table. There's an empty place in your plans for your future, an empty place in the family photo, all of this emptiness. And I know you look at it and you see it as your greatest problem. And I want to convince you that when God looks at it, that's not how he sees it, but that he sees it as his greatest opportunity. And I believe that's true, Jared. Hmm. Would I be right in assuming that this book in particular might reflect more of your personal story than maybe a a few previous books have? Actually, you wouldn't be right. I wouldn't be right. Okay. You wouldn't be right. You know, it's funny that you asked that because that was actually a bit of an issue between me and my editors. You know, I, I, I wrote, I've written a lot about, um, my husband and I's experience of the death of two of our three children, a daughter and a son, Gabe. And uh, that's really how my writing began. Um, But you know, Jared, it's now 21 years ago. My daughter, Hope, would have been 22 a couple of weeks ago. And so it's it's not that I don't feel it or experience it or talk about it, but I do feel sometimes a bit ridiculous as a 58-year-old woman talking about the death of an infant. Mm. And um, here's the reason I do it, is that God's called me to be a steward of what he's entrusted to me. And that includes this story that honestly makes people want to listen to what I have to say. But as I approach this book, no, it's not my story of emptiness that really drives and fills up the pages of this book. It is the story of emptiness in the world, emptiness in God's people, emptiness in you and me that God uh, 
demonstrates throughout the scriptures that he is able and desirous to fill. And so while I mention it briefly in the introduction, really I'm looking at the story of the story of the people of Israel in the wilderness and their empty stomachs and the story of someone like Ruth who you know, goes to Moab in search of food in the famine with their empty stomachs and she doesn't find fulfillment there. And she comes back to Bethlehem and she says to all of her friends, I went away full, meaning a full family. And she says, but I've come back empty. Mm. Um, the emptiness that the writer of Ecclesiastes feels, you know, the, he, he's just tried to fill up the empty place with everything he thinks might fill it up and give him the sense of satisfaction and nothing works. Or the emptiness of this man we only know about from one, really one or two chapters of the Bible, Mephibosheth, um, who, who is this, you know, grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, who is crippled. And he, he lives in this place uh, called Lodabar, which means no pasture. I mean, you know, he, 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 when there's no pasture, there's little food, there's not cattle grazing. He's, it's not a great place. And what happens to him? The king comes for him and he's afraid the king's probably going to kill him. But instead the king wants to invite him to his table to feast and to give him all of this land that belonged to his grandfather. And he just, it's such a beautiful picture of our king and the way he invites us to his table and the way he intends to provide for us and fill us up. And so the book is really less my story. I, you know, it's probably shaped by my perspective and my experience. And it was, it's certainly been shaped by uh, my experience at, of doing now 12 years of these weekend retreats with couples and making this statement to them offering this promise to them that God will uniquely work in their emptiness. And, um, but it's not mostly about my experience. Publishers Weekly says that it's heart-wrenching. Would you agree with their uh, appraisal of your book? Of my book? Yeah, they say it's it's a heart-wrenching account. Hmm. Is it going to wrench my heart? I don't think so. I didn't know they, (laughs) maybe... Maybe. I mean, I really, no, I don't think, I don't think it's heart wrenching. I hope what it is, is deeply encouraging and perspective shaping, Um, you know, because you and I, we want to complain about our emptiness. And the biggest thing is we want to fill it up. And so we look around, what's going to fill up my emptiness, you know, and Mm. we try to fill up the emptiness with scrolling on our phones and the internet and Netflix and food, and alcohol, and shopping. I mean, all these things we search out to fill up the emptiness. But, you know, I I really love what Paul prays for the Ephesians. He he says that he's bowing his knees before the Father, and he, he wants them to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in their inner being. And he, he finishes his prayer. He says, he, he prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm. And you know, Jared, that's, that's what we really want. Yeah. To fill up the emptiness. The eternity in our heart. Yeah. To abide in him, to feed on his word, to talk to him, to take to him 
our experiences, our feelings, the realities of our emptiness. And we come to him and we just say, will you fill me up? Because if you don't, <laughs> I'll, I'll remain empty. And and from the very first page of the Bible, we sense that what he fills us up will be beautiful and satisfying. Because think about how the Bible begins, Jared. I think you know the Bible. Uh, and I think you know how it <laughs> begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens of and the earth, and it was formless and void. Empty. Yeah. Empty. But if you just read the first chapter of the Bible— you know that what I'm saying is true because is emptiness a problem to God? <laughs> Absolutely not. He just begins to say, let there be. And the emptiness is filled. And what is it filled with? It's filled with light and life and beauty and abundance and relationship and purpose and meaning. And aren't those the things that we want our lives to be filled with? Mm. And so just even the first page of the Bible, and then I hope as readers read through all of these stories to see how God fills the emptiness of those hungry people in the wilderness, uh, of Ruth, um, of Mephibosheth, uh, of so many others that we become convinced and really believe that he will fill up our emptiness as we turn to him and that he will fill it with all of these things. You mentioned um, before that you didn't anticipate the pandemic when you were writing this book. I don't know if anybody yeah. anticipated. No. How, how do you think um, 2020, this this year we've you know put behind us, might have exacerbated uh, uniquely mm. maybe even this this sense of emptiness? What, what did uh, election season, COVID, uh, yeah. political justice tensions, all that sort of thing? What has well, that done? A- yeah. Usually we have a lot of other ways to run away from and distract ourselves from emptiness. <laughs> right. Don't we? Uh, you know, we can go out to a restaurant and and we can go on a trip and we can, um, we have better, more coping mechanisms for the empty, more escapes for the emptiness. And so I guess, uh, let me just speak personally. I feel like this year, here I have this book coming out and it's been a personal test <laughs> to <laughs> me of my willingness to receive this truth from scripture and live it out that I wrote about when I wrote this book. You know, in my loneliness, will I use this as an opportunity? Will I see it as an invitation into intimacy with him? And, you know, in my boredom, and in my loss, will I see it as an opportunity to, to be filled with God himself? And I know for me, that begins with, will I open up my Bible and listen to him? <laughs> right. And will I get on my knees and talk to him? Mm. And, you know, all of those things are, at least for me, and I imagine for you and for your listeners, all of those things are being daily put to the test. The truth is I have more opportunity to uh, use the time that God's given me and the space that he's given me uh, to seek after him and to listen to him, to fellowship with him, to abide in him, to feed on him than really I usually have because of travel and commitments and all these things. And so I think that it's presented us the opportunity to, first of all, to come to the end of the way we try to fill ourselves and say, will 
I open up my life, my heart to receive all the ways that God does want to fill with my emptiness, which is with himself. Mm. It, C.S. Lewis referred to pain as as kind of like God's megaphone. I wonder yeah. if, if if emptiness is like that. That that nagging sense, the yeah, the the sense of the void is yep. is itself uh, a, a call that yeah, own you know what Pascal called the God shaped hole, the God shaped vacuum yes. that only God can fill that. Yes. Right. So you I, mean, know, I think yeah. especially in our loneliness, because we think, okay, I just need to get a better group of friends. I need, <laughs> <That's right>. to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need to be able to make more human connection if I feel lonely. And yet here is the God of the universe that if we read the Bible, the Bible's story is really all about God's intention to dwell with us, mm. <laughs> to be with us face to face. It's, it's about him working out, dealing with the sin that's become a barrier between us. Uh, the 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 barrier to us coming into his presence. And because why? Because God is determined to dwell with us, his people. Now that is mind blowing to me, Jared. Mm. I mean, what w- and it's humbling to me because I realize that when I look at the Bible, actually what I see is that God has perhaps a greater desire to dwell with us, his people, than we have a desire to be with him. Mm. So here's this God who desires to dwell with us. And so here in our loneliness, we think we're going to fix it with other people. And it's like he's whispering to us, hey, Jared, hey, Nancy, hey, world, stuck at home (laughs) because of a pandemic. Will you come to me? Here's our chance. Here's, here's, here's a beautiful opportunity I have laid out for you to pursue intimacy with me, to enjoy my presence, perhaps like never before. This is not a disaster. This is an invitation to come to me. Mm. You have a chapter called A Vanishing Breath about God filling our emptiness with meaning. Tell me about that. What is the reference there of vanishing breath? Well, it comes from Ecclesiastes. Remember, he begins his book. You know, everything is, and and there's lots of different ways it's it's, uh, uh, interpreted and um, translated, right? That everything is meaningless. Um, Everything is vanity. Vanity, But, you know, it's this picture of of a breath you breathe out in the cold and it dissipates. So it was real, but it dissipates. You can't see it. And and uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is using that very visual image to describe our lives. But here's the beauty of the gospel. And this is why we read the Old Testament through the lens of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that we know that in Christ, our lives do have lasting meaning. That in fact, he's, he says that uh, in the Lord, that our lives, that are nothing, that our lives will not be in vain or vanity. They have, per- they have meaning that lasts forever. We know because of what Christ accomplished on the cross in his death and then in his resurrection, we read Romans 8 and we know that in fact, all of creation is groaning, longing. Maybe we could think of this pandemic as a great big groan. Yes right? Of the created universe. It's groaning as in birth, birth pains. pains. And, and what is it longing for? Romans 8 tells us it's longing for the revelation of the sons of God 
In other words, it's longing for Resurrection Day (laughs) because Resurrection Day for all of those who are in Christ is also going to be Renewal Day, Resurrection Day for the entire creation. And it says specifically that it is longing for this because of the day when creation was, um, when it experienced the decay, the vanity in a sense, the the futility is the word our, our English Bible uses. It was it was launched into futility. And in a sense, we're still living in that world of a curse. We're still living in a world in which we sense a sense of futility, but we live in it in hope. In hope of what? In hope of Resurrection Day, in hope of Christ's return. And even now we get to experience more of a sense of meaning returning to us. How does this happen? As we uh, are, we experience, we become partakers of the new creation. We take hold of Christ and he takes hold of us and he begins a work of new creation in the interior of our lives that one day is it going to expand to the whole of creation, but we get to experience a taste of it now. He fills our life with meaning, even as we live in a world and in a system where so much seems so meaningless. Yeah, that's important. The the you know the fact that Paul correlates the groaning to to birth pangs yeah. is so encouraging to me. Um, it's not the pains of death. I mean, you know, something is dying. The you know, the world is passing away, and yet it's giving way to something. There is a new creation coming. Yeah, it's 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 such a hopeful and helpful note, um, and in any age, but certainly I, I think in this age as yeah. as well. Um, tell me some about the biblical theology workshops for women that yes. you're that you're conducting. Yeah, well, I started them in the fall of 2019. Uh, hosting biblical theology workshops around the country. In fact, I did one at Midwestern Baptist yeah. Theological Seminary. It was so much fun. That might have been my last one, actually, because I remember seeing all of those women crowded in the lobby, and we were starting to hear about this virus that was <laughs> right. you needed to be away from people, and I was starting to think, oh, my goodness. But, you know, we had a 1,000 women there, um, and we were doing these all over the country. Um, once the vaccine hit, we began to postpone them into 2021, and so we now have a full list of workshops that we're going to be hosting around the country in 2021 and beyond. At these workshops, um, we do – what we do is we try to get a sense of the Bible as one story. A lot of us grew up understanding that there were lots of stories in the Bible, yeah, but we've never been able to put it together in our minds, understand it as one story of what God is doing in the world through Christ. And so we revisit and try to get a good handle to be able to tell the, the Bible as one story. And then we also look at the Bible in terms of its major themes. What are some of the themes of the Bible that um, the divine author has written into his book that run from the very beginning to the end of the Bible. And so I, I train women on tracing particular themes. We, we specifically, we trace the theme of God's dwelling place, uh, this temper, temple tabernacle theme. Uh, we look at blessing and cursing and a number of other themes. And it's my contention that as we approach the Bible, seeking to understand the major themes that the divine author has written into his book, that we're more likely to get it. 
and we're more likely to get it right. And it helps us to make much of what the Bible intends for us to make much of and thereby diminishes some of the things we want to make the Bible about that it is not primarily about. And so it's, you know, three sessions, three 90-minute sessions. And honestly, Jared, they have been so much fun because women come in no matter where they are in terms of their level of understanding the Bible. And they tell me afterwards, their minds are spinning and they're leaving with a heightened sense of curiosity about their Bible and a heightened sense of, you know what, I can look, I can make sense of this. I can put things together to help this to have a, a more meaning that I'll have more understanding of it when I read it. Yeah. So if I'm a pastor or, or a women's yeah. ministry leader and I want to look into when your next ones are coming up or maybe even reach out to you about, you know, hosting one at our church or something like that. Oh yeah. How would I do that? Where do I go? Just go to nancyguthrie.com. And you'll see a section there on workshops, and it'll give you all of the dates uh, of workshops. That's and awesome. The cities and locations. NancyGuthrie.com. Excellent. We've been speaking with Nancy Guthrie, author of the new book, God Does His Best Work with Empty. It's published by Tyndale Momentum. It's available wherever good Christian books are sold. Sister, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Jared. I'd love being with you. And I know you say you hate decorating. I can see the tree in the background. So it looks nice. <laughs> okay. Do you notice it only has white lights on it? Yeah. What's what's the deal with that? Okay. Well, simplicity. Yeah. Minimalism. Okay. <laughs> fewer ornaments to put away. Let's just, you know. Okay. Well, that's a good, <laughs> I guess that's a good pro tip. <laughs> it's been good talking with you. As always, dear listener, if you like the podcast, please share us with your friends, review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.